0: Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. All right. Well, good good morning. I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to finally be back there, and I'm looking forward to it. Daniel chapter 7. I'm, I'm glad to be back. And several of you mentioned to me uh, and about uh, just offering condolences and prayers. I thank you for that, for the passing of, of my grandfather. That's where I was at uh, last week and went down. The funeral was on Monday and uh, went well. My brother and I uh, sang at, at the funeral, and that was appropriate, we felt like, because uh, of all our family members, uh, genetically, I guess you could say, this grandfather was the one who gave us the musical uh, talents we, we have. So we were grateful to, to honor him in that way because he was always known as a, as a singer and grew up singing in churches, and et cetera, et cetera. From the, he was from the mountains of North Carolina. So we were glad to be able to to go and to be a part of that. And family. family appreciates uh, prayers and all that. But I'm glad to be back, and I'm glad to be back in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 7. When you look at the book of Daniel. I want to go back and talk a little bit about uh, where we've been so far, and, and I preached a few sermons out of Daniel, and I think a couple of our uh, other chaplains preached in Daniel as well. What strikes me about Daniel in one way is this. You and I have a, have a similarity with him in that he was a citizen of a world that is Babylon but really in Daniel's heart, he did not consider Babylon his home. I think that's the important concept for you and I as Christians. I, I think one of the challenges that we always have as Christians is, it, is we have to remember that we live in a world that is ultimately not our home. Uh, meaning not only that we're going to be with God in heaven, I mean that too, but I also mean like What St. Augustine talked about in his ancient work in 500 AD, or excuse me, even further back than that, the city of God, where he said there's there's two cities in this world. You have kind of the city of the world, and then you have the city of God. And these two things are two different worlds. And one of the things that Augustine uh, preached those many, many years ago, and that Christians throughout Christianity have picked up on that theme, is that you and I, you've heard the phrase, we're in the world, but not of the world. We, we live here, but, but this is not our ultimate home. I remember a story about uh, a man traveling in many parts of the country where it's a, a very, very much an urban area. You would have family-owned businesses in the downtown sectors of many parts of the world. And, and what you found is like if somebody was a shoemaker, the, the shoemaking business or the bakery or whatever, it was downstairs downstairs. But then upstairs was was their apartment, sort of like where the family would live. So they'd come down every morning and that was their place of business. But up here they would they would do it, and then a a person from sort of a sort of maybe a rural America who had never experienced anything like that went to one of these places and said, Oh wow, you live here. And he said, No, no, no. I work here, but I live up there. And as I think about that, I hope that you and I remember that as we look at the book of Daniel and as we think about our lives. We are kind of like that. We sort of work here, but I hope in prayer in our hearts we really live up there, that we live in heaven. Well, with that said, let's look at Daniel chapter 7 in, in just a minute. Daniel chapter 1 through 6, Daniel tells us stories. He somewhat goes in chronological order, but he writes in the third person. He doesn't write about himself. He tells you as he talks about the stories where Daniel had a vision or Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. It's Daniel writing, but he doesn't, he doesn't say I was thrown in the lion's den. You understand what I'm saying? Even though it was him, he's writing in the third person. What's interesting is when you turn to Daniel chapter seven, which is why I was glad it, even though we had a long break, we're coming back in an appropriate spot because in Daniel chapter seven, he shifts all that. He's no longer in the third person. He begins immediately with the, fir- with, with, with the first person. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, if you'll notice, you can look at it. He, he does start a little bit in the third person. He tells you in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, he says, Daniel saw a dream. But then if you go down to verse 2, Daniel declared, and then it begins, I saw my vision by night. And for the rest of the chapter, it's I. It is as if he is writing down, let me share with you from a first person standpoint. Some people say this, Daniel chapter 2 is the same vision that Daniel chapter 7 is sharing in this passage. Remember Daniel chapter 2 and the vision of the statue and the head of gold, and then you go down and down at the bottom it's clay, and we talked about that they represent different kingdoms. Well, some people say it like this, Daniel chapter 2, remember when Nebuchadnezzar had that vision. Some people say Daniel chapter 2 is the vision from an earthly perspective. Daniel chapter 7 is a vision from the heavenly perspective. Daniel 1 through 6 is third person. Daniel 7 through 12 is first person. In Daniel chapter 7, what you're going to see is the same vision, except he's not going to call them, he's not going to talk about a statue. He's going to describe what he what he calls these different types of beasts or these different types of animals. And what I want to do is go through and and talk about that. So I want you to look at the four beasts that that Daniel shares. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. He says the first one, he says this first one was like a lion. And he had eagle's wings and the wings were plucked off. And he he talks about this first one. In Daniel chapter 2, he talks about the head of gold. The head of gold is the same as this lion. Who is this? This is the king. This is Babylon. This is the kingdom of Babylon. This was Nebuchadnezzar, then Belshazzar. He's talking about those same ones. And it lasted for about 65 years. And then if you keep reading the second beast, in verse 5, he says the second beast is like a bear. That bear is the same thing as in chapter 2, is that statue of silver. Now, who is that? That is the Medo-Persian Empire, which is the next empire that lasted for 200 years. And yes, I believe Daniel was prophesying all these things because Daniel obviously didn't live that long. We know from reading Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7 history, I believe Daniel was being a true prophet of God here and that he was prophesying these kingdoms and exactly how it took place. Number three, if you look at the third beast, go down to verse 6 in Daniel chapter 7. He says this beast, is a. he looks like a leopard. And he has four wings of a bird on his back, and dominion was given over this one. Well, this beast is Greece. This is Alexander the Great. This is also the, the leopard is also the, the belly or the thighs of bronze from the statue of Daniel chapter 2. This is Alexander the Great, which the Bible says in one place, which shall rule over all the earth. Also, chapter 8 of Daniel deals in more detail. It talks about a goat. There's a ram and a goat in chapter 8. The goat is an extension of this idea of Alexander the Great. This kingdom lasted for about 185 years. So I want you to notice something. So far he has three beasts, and he describes all of them as some kind of animal a lion, a bear, and a leopard. You get to the fourth beast, however, there is no animal he compares it to. It's almost as if Daniel has this vision and he says, well, that one looks like a lion, that one looks like a bear, but this number four comes up and Daniel has no earthly frame of reference to see what this one's about. So look at it on the fourth beast in verse seven. Here's what he said. He said this fourth beast was terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. Now listen to this. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then as you keep reading, he's going to talk about these horns and and what they are and all these things. If you go back to Daniel chapter 2, remember 2 and 7 are saying the same thing, just a different perspective. Daniel chapter 2, in the statue of gold, silver, bronze, the feet were iron and clay. This is Rome. This beast that he says he has no way to describe, he can't even come up with an animal to describe it. This is Rome, the the dreadful and terrifying beast. No animal can describe it. Rome, of course, was the greatest empire the world had known uh, at the time. Depending on who you ask and how you slice it, some people say it lasted from about 146 BC as the crossing of the Rubicon and some of those things happened back then. Some people say all the way to AD in the 1400s, even uh, perhaps. But of course, we know that historically, the Roman Empire and Western civilization, we're all sort of connected to that, right? So, this, this kingdom, this last kingdom, he has a lot to say about that it is exceedingly strong. This is all important because as Daniel, to me, Daniel 7 makes more sense in light of the fact of what Daniel went through in Daniel's chap- Daniel chapters 1 through 6. As his friends were thrown into a fiery furnace, again, clashing with the systems of the world. As Daniel was told, and all the, remember the, all the people that Nebuchadnezzar had working for him, if nobody can interpret this dream, I'm going to have them all killed. But Daniel comes along and interprets the dream. As Daniel... Re- prophesies and tells the meaning of the handwriting on the wall as Daniel sticks to his guns and stands his ground and says, I'm going to pray to the, to the true God, and if you throw me in the lion's den, then so be it. And Daniel does get thrown in the lion's den. All that is setting up this conflict, I believe, between the, the God of Daniel and the kingdom of the world at the time is Babylon. But what Daniel's going to do now is he's going to extend it. And he's going to say this conflict is not just Babylon. It's going to be these others that God is giving Daniel prophetic utterance to share with us about. It's going to be all these other kingdoms. And I would contend that when we look at this, it goes all the way into our day. Now, we read already a little bit about this in our scripture reading earlier, but I want to go back and and look at it. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. We're going to see a shift after these four beasts. And we've already read this, but let's look at it again. He says, As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool, and his throne was fiery flames, and his wheels were burning fire. If this sounds like the book of Revelation, that's because it's very similar. Verse 10 a stream of fire issued and came out from before him, a thousand thousand, we read this, served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. This ancient of days, he, it speaks of his holiness, his, his clothing was white as snow, his, his, his hair of head wool, speaks of his, his wisdom. This one is pure. His throne was a flaming fire, it speaks of judgment, wheels of blazing fire. There's no spatial limitations or restriction to this judgment. The Ancient of Days is God Himself. A river was flowing coming from His presence, the righteous wrath of His judgment. People served Him. That is what we have here before us. We have a picture of the Ancient of Days in the midst of all these kingdoms who, if you'll notice, they come and they go. That's part of Daniel's point. They come and they go. Now... Keep reading. Look at verse 13. Oh, by the way, back up, back up. Look at verse 11. He says, I looked, and because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, as I looked, the beast was killed. That one that he had no description for, no animal could describe him, that beast was killed. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season. Now, verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. What was Jesus's favorite thing to call himself? Son of man. You, in the in New Testament, Jesus is called the son of God. He's called the king of Israel. He's called all kinds of things. And Jesus referred to himself in many ways. But his favorite description of himself was the son of man. There came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Now, verse 14, here we go. To him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. You have Daniel prophesying about these kingdoms. Now you have Daniel prophesying just like much of the Old Testament does about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ himself. It's clear when you read the New Testament, when you read the Gospels, Jesus uses language that lets you know Daniel was talking about Jesus Christ himself. In fact, there's a portion of the New Testament where they ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah? Are you the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And he said this, you'll see the son of man, there it is, sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's interesting when you read this, that this conflict between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdoms of God keeps popping up. I want you to go down to verse 24. This is that beast that gets killed ultimately, but it talks about his horns. That is, the fourth beast. Look at verse 24. As for the ten horns out of his kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after him. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. Verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High, that is the kingdoms of the world, will speak against God. Have we seen kingdoms of the world speak against God and, and, and act as if God's not in control and there is no God? Absolutely. He says, well, and listen to this, shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Other translations uh, word that differently. It carries the idea of this beast is going to be a thorn in the side of God's people. Did you know that in the past 100 years, in the past 100 years, more Christians have been killed, specifically martyred. That is, Christians killed because they're Christians. There's been more killed in the past 100 years than there had been in the previous 1900 combined. We live in a time where the saints are definitely being wore out. Sometimes we're sheltered from it because we, we live in a, a totally different world than our brothers and sisters do who are hiding in places to, to, worship, to worship our God. Wear out the saints. And then he says this in verse 25, he, and shall think, that is this beast will think to change the times and the law. Uh, there's going to be these kingdoms who change the very way people think they're going to change the times they're going to change the law they're going to make it so it's a different way of looking at things than looking at things through a worldview with God it says he'll they shall be given into his hand for a time times and half a time as I read that I couldn't help but think about the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche I want to read to you one of the things specifically that he said. I believe that uh, although he um, is not a prophet of God per se, by any means, I believe it's incredible what he said and how it has come to pass. He's famous for the phrase, God is dead. And before I read this, let me tell you, if you, if you read it in its entirety, I'll, I'll read a part of it. What he means is that not so, he, he believes that we're, in, in, his, in his day, in the early 1900s, we were to a point where we lived as if there is no God. And he was saying that this is where we're going to go now. Even though he himself did not uh, believe in God, and by the way, he, re- he did the latter part of his life, uh, in an, in, lived basically in insanity. Here's what he said. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is that not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? John Lennon wrote a song about no God. Some of you probably remember that. I got the words right here in front of me. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Y'all know that, right? No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. I remind you of what Daniel prophesied the beast was going to say. He said that he would think to change the times and change the law. I can't help but when I read this, think that part of what Daniel was prophesying is that the kingdoms of the world and the way people think is going to change such that it is going to go the way of we can live without God. Or if we do believe in a God, we perhaps believe He's out there somewhere, but He really has no impact on my life. Well, as Robbie Zacharias pointed out in regard to Frederick Nietzsche's quote, he warned us that since God died in the 19th century, Nietzsche said that the 20th century would become the bloodiest century ever and a universal madness would break out. In the 20th century, we had what? Hitler, Pol Pot, Chairman Mao, Stalin. It goes on and on and on. My warning is this. Daniel is reminding us that you and I do not live ultimately in this world. And as a pastor, and I think as scripture reminds us, my encouragement is not to get sucked into thinking that the stuff around us is all there is. There is a God. He certainly is not dead. We could say he's dead all we want, but it doesn't change the fact that he is very much alive. He is the ancient of days. There's a clear contrast between all these kingdoms that do what? They come and they go. But he prophesies about a son of man. And even in this passage, he goes on not only to prophesy about Christ's first coming, but his second coming. We read a little bit in our scripture reading about from the book of Revelation, and I just want to share that in Daniel chapter 7, it very much is similar to Revelation chapter 13, where Revelation 13 talks about a beast with ten horns, very similar. It talks about persecution of the saints in Revelation, just like it does here. Both empires will have great power. Both of them actually say for three and a half years. That's where we see the picture of the tribulation in the book of Revelation, the same thing as Daniel. And in both accounts, 7 and Revelation 13, both empires are destroyed when Christ, the Son of Man, returns and establishes His kingdom. I want to remind you of what we read in Revelation 19. It says that he saw one on a white horse whose rider was faithful and true. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him, but no one knows but himself. And then later he goes on to say that this one will be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) There's coming a day when this Son of Man is going to make all things new. Francis Schaeffer in the book, The God Who Is There, he said that we must resist the spirit of the world in the form it takes in his own generation. You and I must remember that all these kingdoms that come and go, and how does, how does all the kingdoms today fit into Daniel? I don't know exactly. But I do know I, that the principle is still there. That whatever kingdoms come, the kingdom that... I'm so glad to serve in the United States military. I'm, I'm grateful to do it. But, but guess what? One day that kingdom's going to come, and that kingdom's going to go. Because when Jesus comes back, all that stuff's just going to fade away. And the only kingdom that's really going to matter is the kingdom of God himself. You and I can live in this world... And we could be grateful to, to, to be in this country. We could be grateful for many of the blessings that God's give us. But my encouragement is to remember and keep in mind our ultimate home is with God. Martin Luther said this years ago, and Francis Schaeffer quoted it. He said, If I profess with the loudest voice and clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point with the world and the devil are at that moment attacking... I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. He says, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved to be steady on all the battlefronts. Besides, is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. As we read this passage, I want to remind us that as Daniel prophesied, that the kingdoms of the world sometimes are going to try to change how we think. They're gonna to try to change the laws. They're gonna say what's up is down and what's down is up. Uh, we live in a world where people honestly try to say there's, uh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There, there's no such thing as right and wrong, which is always interesting if you ever have someone who says there's no such thing as absolute truth, I encourage you to ask them, just simply say, are you telling me there's no such thing as absolute truth and they say yes. Then simply ask them, is that statement absolutely true? And if they say yes, they just defeated their own argument. Um, other, other people who say, well, what's wrong for you and wrong for me, they might be two different things. Then I would simply say, well, okay, well, um, so you're saying that everybody can just kind of do what they want and it's perfectly fine. Yes, nobody can tell anybody what to do. There's no standards out there. Okay, you own a car? Yes. Well, I, when I grew up, I was taught that the, 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 the most fun thing in life to do is to take a baseball bat and destroy other people's cars. Who are you to judge me and tell me I can't do that? Oh, no, no, you can't do that. So what would you do if I did that? Would you allow it? Well, no. Okay, so I can't do that because you don't think it's good. Yes. But what if I think it's good to go around and just bust up people's cars with a baseball bat? You know what would eventually happen? That person's going to come out of their... More relativism and this everything goes mentality, and they're going to appeal to a higher standard because deep in their soul, they're created in the image of God, and they know that there's a right and there's a wrong, and they're going to call the police on me, and they're going to appeal to a higher standard and go, no, there is an absolute now that you're talking about my car. That's the world we live in now. My encouragement to you is remember, as the world tries to go contrary to God's Word as the world tries to tell us all these different things. Remember, we don't live here. We just work here. Hold fast to what God is calling us to, even when it gets difficult, because guess what? Last time I checked and I keep reading, I don't know who those ten horns are. I don't know all the answers to all the details. There's, I looked at a lot of things and there's a lot of stuff you could study, but I do know this. They all come and they all go. But this Ancient of Days... And this son of man that pops up at Daniel, you know how you can read the back of the book? Guess what happens? They win. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may may we hold fast to your word and your truth that we are citizens of your kingdom. God, it amazes me how we can read this ancient text, and yet we look around us, and I see the truth of it everywhere. I, I do see a world... Heavenly Father, where many times I'm, I'm tempted to be a part of, I'm tempted to fall in line with the world around me and go contrary to you and maybe the way you think. And, or maybe, God, I put my focus on things that are not necessarily bad, but they're not the better things, that is, the better things of your kingdom. God, I pray you'd forgive us of that. God, I pray as your people that we would have a greater understanding that we're your children. And you call us to live in your kingdom, even as we are living our lives here below. I pray, God, that we would be part of resisting that spirit of the world, however it takes its place in this generation. Help us never to live, although we profess with our mouths that you are God, help us never to live as if you do not exist. May we never live as if you are dead. May we live as if you are alive. And God, that that makes all the difference in the world. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless.